What's up, everybody? This is Fred Rachani of TSC News right here on MNN2. We are happy to bring you part two of our interview with actor, fighter, wrestler, author, and mocapper Paul the Mauler Lazenby. He's going to talk about everything going on in pro wrestling, the hot button topics, plus his own career, working with The Miz in the Marine series, doing Gears of War, writing When We Were Bouncers, and much, much more. But before that, a follow-up on a major story we talked about a few weeks ago, Ring of Honor and WWE. It was originally reported by ProWrestlingSheet.com that Ring of Honor could be purchased by WWE. WWE was in talks with Sinclair Broadcast Group, SBG, the parent company of ROH, but according to WrestlingObserver.com, it looks like those talks are dead. Now, WWE could license Ring of Honor footage for the network, which would make sense because they have a very popular streaming service, but at the moment, it looks like ROH is safe. And I, for one, am very, very happy about that. You might ask why. Well, more competition breeds more innovation, breeds more creativity. And it allows these guys and girls that bust their butts for our entertainment to be able to have options. Options equal opportunity. Options equal more opportunity to make a living in professional wrestling. Nobody is ever going to confuse Ring of Honor with WCW of the past or NWA or even ECW. But it has served as a great proving ground for a lot of WWE's current superstars, including Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, Cesaro, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn. The list goes on and on and on and on. And I am happy that Ring of Honor continues to go on as an independent promotion. Well, an independent promotion owned by a conglomerate. And I'm definitely looking forward in a few weeks in Manhattan right here for the War of the Worlds pay-per-view featuring Ring of Honor stars and stars from New Japan Pro Wrestling as seen on Access TV. And somebody that knows a thing or two about going on and competition is Paul the Mauler Lazenby. So let's dive right back into our conversation about all the craziness in his career. And another tough guy you got to work with, I don't know if he's as tough as Steve Austin, but a tough guy in his own right, is The Miz, Mike Mizanin, who absolutely killed it in the buildup for WrestleMania 33. You worked with him, I believe, on The Marine 4. What was he like? He's a great dude, man. I, I really like Miz. He, he kind of, him and Steve both kind of kind of rolled into Vancouver acting like the new guys. Um, I, I remember Steve even saying that in as many words, but Miz too, where he didn't roll in like I'm the WWE superstar and everybody's going to take care of me. And, and he came in like, I want to learn all the names and faces and I want to, I want to be a part of this team. And, uh, I, again, just like with Steve, I don't think you will find anybody who's worked with Miz in Vancouver. That has a bad word to say. I, I got to work with him, uh, twice actually, because, uh, we recently did an episode of supernatural entitled to the mat where uh, Miz came in as a special guest star, and I was I was uh, had an acting role as a pro wrestler on that. So uh, I'm always happy to see him back. He's such a great guy, and I think a very underrated talent, too. Oh, absolutely. I feel like 2016 was really his year, and thus far in 2017, he's truly taking it up a notch. And I remember when you and I first started chatting and became friends, we talked about how, man, this guy Miz, he was on fire for a while, and then he kind of petered off. And the last couple of years, he's really regained his momentum and then some. Why do you think he's kind of had that fire lit under him again? Oh, I think he always, I think he's a driven guy. You know, he was supposed to come in as a novelty, 
I don't even think he was supposed to be in-ring talent when he was first brought in. He was supposed to be the MTV reality show guy that we're going to use for a little bit of publicity and then future endeavor. And the thing with Miz, uh, he, he reminds me of Chris Jericho in this respect, is that the wheels in his head are always turning and he's always trying to figure out a new angle. Okay, what can I do that's different? How can I continue to advance myself? How can I reinvent myself? How can I make myself different? How can I make progress? They never get comfortable. And when you put them in a hole, when you when you you drag them back from the, the start line, when you present them with adversity, they don't seem to lose that mindset. You know, they, they're still, okay, well, now how do I dig myself out of this hole and get back to where I started and then start climbing again? Uh, he's, his work ethic, um, Miz's work ethic has just been incredible. You know, it just, he, he's constantly changed himself. He's constantly advanced himself. Um, he's been very intelligent with the way he wrestles too. You know, uh, wrestling fans will recall not too long ago, the famous uh, talking smack debate oh, with yeah. Daniel Bryan, where he brought up the fact that he said, I don't wrestle like a coward. I wrestle in a way that allows me to stay uninjured and keep wrestling. And he's very much right. And uh, he, the last couple of years, his storytelling in the ring, his psychology in the ring, have really come up several notches. And uh, I, I believe one of the reasons for that, uh, that he's advanced himself in that respect is because, again, that lends itself to longevity. If you don't have to take 9,000 spectacular bumps in a match to keep people entertained, you're going to have a longer career and you're going to be in better shape at the end of it. So uh, I just think he's got so much drive that he is going to succeed no matter who puts what obstacles in front of him. It might take him longer, but he's going to get there. And it also helps to have Maurice in your corner, who happens to be your wife. Yeah, dude, again, another surprising individual. You know, she presented the uh, the character of the you know, the snotty chick that doesn't have time for anybody who's not as good looking as her. And nothing could be further from the truth. She was up here working with him on – actually, I worked with Miz on three movies because we worked on uh, – Oh, what was it again? I forget what the movie is now. Didn't you do a Christmas movie with him? I did. What was it? Jingle all the... No, that was uh, Larry the Cable Guy. I, I forget what it's called now. Um, I was supposed to do a fourth one called Christmas Bounty, but I uh, ended up getting recast at the very last second. But yeah, we did do a Christmas movie, and Maurice came out for that, and, and you could not have found a nicer person. She was so cool. Awesome, man. Speaking of cool, you play another cool guy. You actually do all of his crazy cool animations we're talking about the legendary character in gears of war marcus phoenix you've been doing all kinds of motion capturing and stunts not just for movies but for video games for a long time how'd you get hooked up with gears of war uh gears of war came along because a good friend of mine rob Hader, who uh, uh he's actually a world stunt award recipient for one of the most brutal car hits i've ever seen in my life i, I have no idea how he didn't die that was for i love you beth cooper but uh, Rob was brought on to coordinate uh, Gears of War Ultimate when they decided to redo the first Gears of War and do it in Vancouver. So they asked Rob, because he knows all the local performers, uh, to bring in some people for them to look at who might be suitable for certain roles. And uh, I, I love to tell this story because Rob said he was watching footage of the characters to see who he wanted to bring in. And he looked at uh, some footage of Marcus Phoenix and they just close up on his face. And Marcus is looking down and he goes, uh, and right there, Rob goes, Lazenby. <laughs> and that, that was pretty much it, man. They brought me in, and uh, it ended up being an excellent fit. So uh, I was Marcus Phoenix. And I got to say, Gears of War 4 was TSC Gaming's number one game of the year. I absolutely loved playing it. I, I wasn't a big Gears guy, actually, until you got cast as, as Marcus Phoenix. And playing that game, I mean, I, I really see what the big fuss is all about. 
Uh, did it take you a while to see what the fuss is all about? Like, did, did you go through the whole process, and then once the game came out, you were like, holy crap, this is crazy? Or did you understand the fan base of this massive franchise going into this project? Well, I, I picked up on how big it was pretty quick. I mean, after I got the job, I, I'm not a gamer myself. I'm scared to get a gaming system because there are awesome games like Gears out there, and I know I'll just get addicted to them and never go outside. <laughs> So uh, I, I'm not really tapped into the gamer community as such. But when I got the job, you know, I thought I got to be a professional. I get on YouTube and get online and, and find out about Gears and very quickly realized this is a huge franchise. This is a massive, massive franchise. And, and that meant that I had a heavy, heavy responsibility to the millions of people who play Gears because that whole franchise revolves around Marcus Phoenix. He's the guy. And so it was very important to me to you know, watch as much Gears footage as I could on YouTube and read up on Gears as much as I could and read up on Marcus as much as I could to make sure that I was doing justice to that character. And that's why it made me feel very good to be brought back for Gears of War 4 after Ultimate came out and know that I had done a decent job and, and I had, had done justice to the character for all the gearheads around the world. Now, last time I checked, I think the very first video game credit you had, if I'm not mistaken, it was Def Jam Vendetta. No, it was uh, Marvel Nemesis Rise of the Imperfects. Wow. But that may have been released after Def Jam Vendetta. We shot Marvel Nemesis, I believe, in 2002. And, um, yeah, that was uh, for a little over a decade. I was the in-house big guy for Electronic Arts who have a, a giant complex in Burnaby, B.C. on the outside uh, outskirts of Vancouver. Uh, that's thanks to my good buddy Ken Sia, who works in the motion capture department. We met socially and then uh, he recommended I be brought in for an audition for uh, Marvel Nemesis. And then just I ended up being their guy for, for any big dudes. And, yeah, it was a real good run, a little over 10 years with EA. And uh, it was fun to watch the technology evolve, too, because I'll tell you what, uh, 2002 technology means that you end up taking a hellacious beating as a mocap performer to get the footage that they need. And now the technology has evolved to the point where it's not quite as bad. For those watching at home that aren't too sure of what goes into doing mocap, what's a day in the life of Paul Lazenby playing Marcus Phoenix? Well, the Marcus Phoenix gig isn't particularly punishing because there's a lot of acting involved. Like, uh, that's one thing a lot of people don't realize is uh, the motion capture team, we do everything except the voices. Uh, but we still read the lines. We're doing exactly what we would be doing if that were a feature film or a TV show. And that means all the stunts. That means uh, all the biggest stuff right down to all the most minor little acting beats and the, the most subtle little things. So you really have to be an actor. You can't just be walking through the motions. Uh, we generally show up and, and uh, raw man, which is just go through a, a series of uh, physical movements so that uh, the – uh, computer cameras all around us can pick up on the markers that are all over our bodysuits. And then we converse with the director. Uh, we go over the shots for the day and then we just run through them. And it's um, it, it's a lot of fun. I, I love the team at Animatrix Studios. I love the coalition. Um, I love the whole I love the cast of Gears of War, except for uh, Alex Ponovic, who's really creepy and gross. So <laughs> I, I hope you're watching this, Alex. You're gross. Um, but, yeah, it, it just it's. It's like working on a TV show, like working on a movie, but a little bit different in that there's less pressure with regards to camera angles and hitting your mark and stuff like that. And so you get a little bit more room to play.
Man, that Paul Lazenby has pretty much done it all in the entertainment business. There's probably a few job titles I don't know about. We'll get to the final part of our Paul Lazenby interview later in the show. But unfortunately, I have to give an update on Scott. He's not here right now. Scott Anderson, the People's Podcaster, our resident fact checker. He had a little bit of a snafu with his tire. I think the black and white that he was playing around with last week kind of clouded his judgment a little bit. But we're happy to say that Scott is safe and sound. He is currently resting up. He is eating his bootios like the New Day. He might even be with the New Day right now. And we will hopefully have him back next week. Now, as far as to continue the fast facts he had about MMA fighters turned pro wrestlers, well, there are a number of MMA fighters slash pro wrestlers who have appeared on TSC News. He mentioned a few of them last week, including Daniel Pewter, Bobby Lashley, of course, Ken Shamrock, Dan the B. Severin, Mark Coleman, who have appeared on TSC News, King Mo, bunch of guys. I mean, it's, the list goes on and on. We had Eric Butterbean Esch, who is famous or infamous for knocking out Bart Gunn at WrestleMania 15. Rampage Jackson technically participated in pro wrestling, although he was in TNA Impact Wrestling for literally a cup of coffee. But since it is Throwback Thursday, I thought it'd be a nice trip down memory lane to take a look back at not one, but two of our memorable interviews with wrestlers turned fighters, or in the case of Bobby Lashley, a wrestler turned fighter, and in the case of King Mo, a fighter turned wrestler. Sort of. So let's check out our first throwback clip. This is a clip of myself interviewing Bobby Lashley back in 2014. At the time, he was the current Impact Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion, and how ironic! Three years later, he is still reigning supreme as the Impact Wrestling World Champion, and in my humble opinion, one of the most underrated stars in the wrestling business. Fred Ricciani of TC News here at Pro Wrestling Syndicate's All Fired Up. I am sitting alongside the jacked, the badass, the dominant Bobby Lashley, current TNA World Heavyweight Champion, also a Bellator MMA fighter, now 1-0 in Bellator MMA. Bobby, you've been on a hell of a run this year, man. How you feeling? I feel great. Well, actually, my body's a little broken up right now, but um, for the most part, I'm healthy, man, and I feel good. You had a great performance at Bellator against Jason Burns, Kevin Burns, Monty Burns, whatever the hell his name is. You just... You just totally destroyed him. Had a great match with Bobby Roode at No Surrender. What some people don't know is that that match was taped before your fight, and you took a Roode bomb outside on the floor. How's your back feeling? Took a lot of bit of rehab, a lot of rehab to get ready for that one. But, you know, like I was saying before, I told him if I'm going to do both, I'm going to give 100% to each one of them. So even though I had a fight coming up in Bellator, I knew that match with Bobby Roode was important, so I wanted to give it all. So taking that bump was just part of the game. How supportive has Viacom been with you? Because, you know, they tried to do the pro wrestling thing with King Mo, didn't really work out, Rampage Tito. You're the one guy for the first time in years in pro wrestling and successful in both. Yeah, you know, I, I always thought that in order to do both, you have to be a pro wrestler first because a pro wrestling fan doesn't embrace everyone. So you actually have to be in pro wrestling first. A pro wrestler going to MMA, that can happen. MMA going to pro wrestling, that's going to be a hard task to accomplish. There are some guys that have the personality and everything that we can bring over, but for the most part, it has to be a wrestler. And um, I always told him I'm the man, so, hey, I'm going to try to win both titles and keep them. Former Strike Force champ, King Molawal. How you doing, King? Man, I'm chilling, man. You call me an OG? I'm like a BG, though. I'm new. I'm a baby gangster up in here. Okay, you can expect <clears throat> me to look good, smell good, good ring entrance, girls that look good that's on beat, a nice knockout, a great speech, probably something funny, maybe a funny dance, and for me to be holding that big check right there, you know what I'm saying, 100 grand, you know what I'm saying? You expect that, and then you expect me to do the same thing 
in Impact Wrestling. I'm going to do it both. I'm going to be a one-man tag, tag team champion. There's been a lot of kings in pro wrestling, though. King Harley Race, the Macho King Randy Savage, one of your all-time favorites, King Booker. In your opinion, besides yourself, who is the greatest king of all time in combat sports? In combat sports? You're talking about or pro wrestling and combat sports? Uh, I guess pro wrestling and MMA. Well, I guess you're the only king in MMA, so pro wrestling. Okay, pro wrestling, either Harley Race and Booker T, King Book. Care to elaborate on why? Because I'm sure Jerry Lawler is watching this and highly offended. Jerry Lawler went hard, but Harley Race was just a beast, man. You know what I'm I remember watching him. He was a beast. And then King Book, I love Booker T when he's with the Harlem Heat, so I'm, I'm, I'm you know, biased towards him anyway, so I'm going to pick him in any question. Can you do a spin a Rooney? I can't do a spin a Rooney, but I can, I can do that. <laughs> but I can hit the Alex Wright dance. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to do that later. you do that, the Alex Wright dance right now? I'll do it with you. Just show me how to do it. All right. Yeah, and, 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 and the Dusty Rose, but I'm going to say that for later because Dusty Rose was raw too. I'm holding auditions for a new Sapphire. You remember Sapphire, right? I, yeah, remember, yeah. I remember Sapphire. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to be turn off the shirt like Hulk Hogan? Um, nah, man, that's played out, though. You know, only Hulk Hogan can do that. I can't. I never. Never, I never, I'll never do that. Well, I hope you enjoyed those throwback clips. Now, back to our interview with Paul the Mauler Lazenby. Paul, there's a, a bit of a mystery here. We, we've talked about it in, in the past, the last time I saw you at UFC in Cleveland. I swear, a bunch of people have gone up to me that know we're friends and say, I, I saw Paul in Deadpool, I saw Paul in Deadpool. And then I saw you in, in, in Cleveland, and you're like, I was in Deadpool, but not really. Can you explain the mystery of your cameo appearance in Deadpool? Yeah, I, I was cast as a flight deck guard. There's a, a humorous scene, a short humorous scene that, that was supposed to revolve around me. And I ended up spending four days on set, and they never got around to shooting it. Uh, but there, And the only reason I ever even got into camera is because there's one scene where uh, there are soldiers leaning over the side of a shipping container that they're standing on the top of, and they're firing down toward the ground trying to kill Deadpool. And they needed an extra guy, so those stunt coordinators just came up and put a machine gun in my hands and said, you know, get up there and, and fire this. Uh, but I wasn't even supposed to be that guy. So in Deadpool, you— you will have seen me there, but you won't know it's me because you just see the back of my head and I'm wearing a helmet and a mask. Uh, so I, I do show up in the credits as Flight Deck Guard, and uh, I was cast as Flight Deck Guard, but uh, unfortunately that, that dude never really uh, made it to the final cut. Well, hopefully we'll get justice for that guy maybe in Deadpool 2. Hey, they're more than welcome to call me anytime they want, man. I was so ecstatic <laughs> to hear that they were coming up here. It's so busy in town, I was wondering if they are going to get studio space, but uh, it looks like they're coming, and... Yeah, they can call me anytime they want. I was so happy to be on Deadpool 1, and I would, I would come back in a second for number two. Awesome. Now, in addition to being a wrestler, actor, stuntman, mocap, you name it, you're also an author, the author of When We Were Bouncers, various stories from different celebrities about their times as bouncers, maybe former WWE pro wrestlers, UFC fighters, a little bit of everything in between. How'd that concept come about, and can you tell us about the sequel? Yeah, I would just it was a few years ago and actually in a in a sideways way I kind of owe a very corrupt in my opinion corrupt, allegedly corrupt, I'll put that so I don't get sued. A politician by the name of Christy Clark for the entire idea because uh we had went through a very bad drought in the film and TV business around 2012. Uh there were people actually losing their houses. That's how how dry the business was back then. And I started thinking you know, our business is probably going to die because our premier, which is the Canadian equivalent of a governor, 
was to appear to my judgment anyway it looked to me like she was trying to choke the business out like she was actually refusing to help it and even taking measures that I thought were damaging the business and, and making it less likely it was going to be able to rebound so I started looking at what I'm going to do I mean I, I okay if, if this business goes under I don't have a huge amount of contacts in Toronto or LA I might be able to get some work there but how am I going to make a living and then an old idea that I kind of tucked away in the back of my head two or three years previously came up again which was uh, I spent about 20 years bouncing and it occurred to me that bouncers have insane, crazy ass stories and yet no bouncer book has ever really been successful and usually projects that focus on bouncers aren't successful. And I realized that it's because most people have negative associations with bouncers the way many people do with cops. You know, the bouncer is usually somebody that is telling you you can't do something or punching you in your face or whatever. So I thought on it a bit further and realized, well, I know a lot of famous people, you know, through pro wrestling, through MMA, through film and TV. Uh, so I know a lot of them would have been bouncers. In fact, I knew for a fact that some of them were. And that was the hook is that this book is going to be about people who've gone on and become famous and successful in their chosen field of endeavor, reminiscing about their days when they were climbing the ladder of success, working as bouncers. And uh, the original conception was as a TV series, but while I was learning how to pitch it or figuring out how to go about doing that, I decided to get a book out there as well to get the idea out and start spreading it around. It's Roots of Fight. You've been working with them for a number of years. I just saw online, it looked like they have this badass Andre the Giant collection. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, I finally can, man. I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm very lucky. I've been working with the Roots of Fight company, I think, since they were about a year old, maybe a little bit older. But uh, I'm Jesse Katz, who's one of the co-owners of uh, Roots of Fight and co-founders, along with Richard Lawley, a name you don't hear often enough because he does all the Roots of Fight designs. Uh, Rich is amazing. But uh, Jesse is kind enough to kind of include me on their future plans when they've got when they've always got future plans. So I think it was about a year ago. You know, I, I had been bugging him. I had been in his ear about doing something about wrestling. And, and he said, OK, look, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to put some ideas together for Roots of Wrestling. And then a few months ago, uh, he showed me the Andre the Giant design. You know, and so it's, it's been so tough for me not to talk about it. And I'm so happy it's finally out. And believe me, guys, this is just. This is just the the start of Roots of Wrestling. Is the Andre the Giant product there? There are more designs in the uh, in the chamber ready to be fired, and then uh, the, there's more on the way because I know that I'm on Jesse all the time, putting names in his ear about who he should do next. You're also a contributor to Killing the Town, a very popular podcast with Cyrus the Virus and former WCW and WWE superstar Lance Storm, who is an amazing trainer. He's trained so many people from the likes of. Emma, Dolph Ziggler, Billy Kay, Peyton Royce, Tyler Breeze, you name it. I mean, there's just so many. Like a list and off Paul Lazenby. And Paul Lazenby. That's what I want to talk to you about. Because while you are a contributor to Lance's awesome podcast, you were also technically the first official trainee of the Storm Wrestling Academy. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I was one of the uh, first official trainees. I uh, When I decided to uh, take the plunge and learn how to be a pro wrestler, thanks heavily to a couple of people like Crystal Vines and Carlos Leal, who financed my trip across Canada. Carlos even drove me 2,000 miles from Kitchener to Calgary to get to wrestling school. Uh, but when I got there, you know, I, I had signed up for the Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp in Calgary. And that year, the instructors were two guys who had taken the previous year's course, which means they were still within their rookie year. 
But uh, lucky for me, they both ended up being extremely quick studies. And that, of course, was Lance Storm and his assistant was Chris Jericho. So that was my induction into the world of pro wrestling was training with those two guys. And uh, I'm very proud to say that I, I was a I was a graduate and I believe the top student of the first class that Lance Storm ever taught. This is a bit of a loaded question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is Roman Reigns the guy? Well, he is because the company wants him to be. <laughs> um, you know, that's a good example right there is I think if Roman Reigns came up in the Attitude Era, he would be in much better stead with the uh, wrestling fans. But because there's no viable competition now, WWE could afford to go, well, we'll, we'll do what we want to do with Roman. We're not going to listen to the fans as such. And they'll just they'll take him. You know, when the fans wanted him pushed, he wasn't getting pushed. And then they decided, okay, well now we're going to push him, and they're cramming him down his throat. After the fans stopped liking him, and then they were giving him horrible stuff, the scripted promos that he had to do, and yeah, it just, I I don't think he's the guy in the the way that say Daniel Bryan was the guy or Steve Austin or The Rock were the guy, but uh, he's definitely the the top guy on the roster, and he's a he's a dude that has. Everything the guy should have, I think he's just been hamstrung by the way he's been handled by the company. I don't think there's any fault at all in his work ethic, his talent, his look. He's got the whole package. He's got the attitude. He's got everything. Uh, I just think uh, he's been mishandled. Now, before we let you go, what's the best piece of advice you could give somebody that's looking to have success in show business or in any walk of life? Don't quit. You know, it's – I – Really, I got into show business extremely late. I mean, I was uh, 32 years old when I got in. That even ruffled a few feathers. I, I think if I hadn't had a pro wrestling background, uh, I might have just been said, "No, we don't. You know, we're not hiring right now by the stunt community." But thankfully, I got some credit for that. But yes, yeah, the main thing: do not quit. I mean, I, I talked about finding out. Yeah, in 2003, I think you know I'm doing really well for the first time in my life. I got a lot of money in the bank. Uh, I can finally say I'm a full-time stuntman. Well, immediately after having that epiphany, uh, my wife got terminal cancer and I lost all my money. I lost my dream home. I lost everything. And I was $115,000 in debt a few months later. So I had to start from before the finish line. And I felt like sitting down by the side of the road and quitting, but I didn't. And now I'm back in the dream home that I lost and I'm better off than I was before my wife got sick. Um, and largely over her death, uh, as much as you can be something like that, uh, because I didn't quit, you know, because, you know, even on the days when it felt like I, I, I could barely get out of bed, well then fine, just, just put one foot in front of the other and, and take it at your own pace. If that pace is one inch at a time, keep doing it and don't quit. And, uh, it's, it's a very flippant thing to say time heals, heals all wounds and it'll get better. And, you know, people come at you from all angles when tragedy hits or when hardship hits with these sympathy card platitudes. And it's, it's disgusting to me, but, uh, at the same time, that idea, just, just hold it in your head is that it's, it's going to suck right now and it's going to suck tomorrow and it's going to suck next week and next month, but there will come a day where it doesn't suck anymore, or at least when it's not sucking as badly and, and you can deal with it a lot better. And I'm leaving proof of that. You know, I, I never thought I'd be back where I am now. You know, I, I'm better off than I ever was. So don't quit, period. Wow, I had a great time chatting with my old friend Paul Lazenby. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. 
Folks, if you want to see more, please log on to youtube.com slash the Sports Courier. Click the subscribe button. You can also follow us on Twitter at Sports Courier, Instagram at TSC News, Facebook.com slash the Sports Courier. You can also catch the podcast on SoundCloud.com slash TSC News, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, you name it, we got it. Thanks so much for the time. Until next time, everybody, same time, same place, next week, MNN2. As always, enjoy the matches.